Luke. I work with the students here, and uh, we have been wrapping up the book of Nehemiah over the last um, few weeks here. We had been in this book a while ago, and uh, then the COVID monstrosity came upon us all, and so Nick thought we should shift gears a little bit. Uh, but then he kind of realized as he was looking at it that Nehemiah has a lot of good that it can say to our current circumstances. This really is a book about how do you thrive in the midst of difficult circumstances? How do you retain your spiritual vitality when everything around you seems to be pushing you back? So it felt fitting to jump back into this book. And so Nehemiah, it's about a guy, he was the cupbearer for the Persian king, so pretty high up, and he heard that the walls of his city, Jerusalem, had been destroyed. This caused him to weep, and through God's providence, he came back to Jerusalem to lead that rebuilding project. And uh, he faced a lot of opposition, people fighting him on the way there as they were building the wall. People had to have weapons with them because they were afraid of being attacked. All this opposition, but they ended up completing the project. God was faithful and saw that the, the project would be completed. And so where we are at today, we're up to chapter 12, only one more chapter left. We are up to the huge celebration. The wall's been completed and it's, yay, it's all been done. Let's go, let's party. This is great. Let's kick our shoes off. We can, we can just relax for a second. And you might already be thinking, dude, I don't know if this passage really fits the context right now. Like, the one time everyone's thriving and flourishing. Like, that's not, it just, if you look around a little bit, you might notice that's not what we're experiencing right now. So I don't know if I really want to read a passage about people partying and celebrating. If we can just skip to chapter 13 where things kind of go bad again, I'd really, I think that would be great. And uh, when I first saw this passage, I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> this is the celebration. This is the COVID is over party. That's what this text seems like it is more guiding us toward. But then I stop myself, and I realize that there's so much we can pull from a passage like this. Because I think what I was doing in my heart was I was assuming that God in this passage was somehow different or less faithful or less worth rejoicing in now than he was here. And that somehow God is the problem, like why the tone of my life does not match the tone of this text is somehow God's fault. Like if he was doing more of this kind of cool wall buildy stuff, then maybe I'd be like these people. And I just, as I, as I thought through that and I said that statement in my brain, I was like, that's probably wrong. <laughs> it's probably not the Lord who's the problem. I'm probably the one who's the problem here. I'm probably the one who needs to grow in this situation. And perhaps when I look at a passage like this, this does speak to my current circumstances. What I'd like us to look at today is not how God was faithful to the people in this text in a way that he doesn't seem to be or feel like he's faithful to us right now. Because for a lot of us, we don't feel like this has been a time of flourishing. This has been a difficult time. I don't know where exactly you're at, but it hasn't felt like thriving has been a word a lot of us would use. I don't think God is any less good or worth rejoicing in now. I think how the people responded was what made the difference. 
That's the difference. It's not that God is not good or faithful to us. It's we oftentimes respond poorly to the good things God is doing. And I just want us to think a little bit that perhaps our lack of celebration and our struggle with joy and our difficulty thriving is not that God is not here working, still faithful, still present. Maybe we're the ones that's missing something. Let's look at what the people did, because God was faithful to these people. And we're going to look at their response to God completing this great work. I'm not going to read everything through these verses. There's a lot of names that you do not want to hear me pronounce, but I will go through the gist of it. Um, At the dedication—let me read here, actually. At the dedication, this is verse 27 of chapter 12. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, this was their big, really, worship ceremony to devote this project to the Lord, to dedicate it back to him, and just to properly appreciate what God had done. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites, leaders among the people, were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving, with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. Anyone got a lyre on them? Probably not. The musicians were also brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the village of the Nephethites, I knew I was going to stumble that, from Beth Gilgal, and from the area of Geba and Asmaveth. For the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem, classic musicians, thinking they're too cool to hang out with everyone else, making their own little village. Uh, When the priests and the Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. This was a huge event. They made sure that this was going to be something they would remember. They brought musical instruments. They were going to sing songs of thanksgiving. They pulled the leaders in. They did purification rituals to show, like, this was for the Lord. They didn't want anything to get in the way. This was a huge thing. And uh, you see next this crazy scene where they bring these two large choirs. I had the leaders of Judah go on top of the wall, and I assigned these two large choirs just to give thanks. And so one choir goes this way and sings, and then the other choir goes the other way and sings. It's this huge procession, and there's just this massive sense of rejoicing. And if we at all missed the tone or the theme of this passage, the author pretty much beats us over the head with it by verse 43. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing, because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. Don't forget about them. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard from far away. (laughs) The sound of rejoicing just echoed through the whole area. If your neighbors ever kept you up because they're like blasting, you know, club music all night, like, you know, has that ever happened? This was like the whole Middle East being kept up because Jerusalem was like blasting their club music all night, like, like throwing this party that just was echoing everywhere. Great joy. Massive rejoicing. The word joy, I've talked about this before actually here, but um, I mean it to be really close to this idea of flourishing. In in Scripture, it really is this holistic um, health and, and in right standing with the Lord, emotionally enriched and full of the Spirit moving forward. Joy is this sort of stable, um, soul-level happiness that exists despite circumstances. And I think right what we see right here in this passage, conveniently highlighted in mustard orange, is where joy comes from. 
Joy for a lot of us feels like this thing we sort of got to produce within ourselves, right? Like, okay, if I'm going to be joyful, like, oh, I got to like force it, got to figure out how to find it. I'll, I'll feel it somehow, like where, where to go, where to go. The people here were not forcing themselves to feel joy. They weren't like, where is it? How do we find it? Where do we get it? The joy was given to them by God. So this was divinely given joy. And I don't think this was like a weird mystical, like God was like, like zapping them with like good feelings, right? They had been given joy because they saw God's faithful hand through their work. They wanted a home. They wanted protection from their enemies. And they had seen through opposition God bring them to this place where they had what he had promised them. So God had given them joy, meaning that God had been good in their lives, and they recognized that. And so this is where you're, you're maybe already wanting to sort of hop off the train. You're like, okay, I, I, know this is, I know where this is headed, and I don't like this. I don't know if I can relate to this. You maybe feel like you haven't felt the joy of the Lord in a long time. You maybe think, okay, oh, cool, cool, people in passage, God gave them joy and they threw this party. I, I, don't, I can't remember the last time I had so much joy, I was just compelled to throw a party, all right? Like, that's cool, God was doing this kind of thing then, but I don't know if he's doing this in my life now. And I think that is a thought that I had as I was looking through it, but I just don't think that that's true. I think God has given all of us joy. If you, if you are a believer, I believe God has given you all the joy you could possibly need. First and foremost, let me just say, and I know like I, it's going to feel sort of like I'm minimizing COVID and what's going on right now, and I do not want to do that, and poke at me in the AMA if you want to. Um, I know things have been tough. But can we all just agree for a second that first and foremost, things are not going all that poorly. Like, yeah, I understand it is really hard being like isolated and working from home, that kind of thing. But we are isolated in our very nice homes with endless hours of entertainment and electricity and heating and indoor plumbing. Like, we do not have it that bad. All right. It's like we have Zoom. And I know it's fun to hate on Zoom, but like, Imagine, like, the people before Zoom, like, hearing us complain about Zoom would want to punt us off a bridge. Like, you get to talk to people in the comfort of your home, and you're all complaining about it? What is wrong with you? That's amazing. There's a lot of good things going on just in general. And that's not even to mention, like, this is pre-Jesus. <laughs> they were still under the old covenant. This was laws on laws on laws, and they were still rejoicing. Like you and I, we have Jesus dying for us, offering all who believe in him eternal life. That's a great joy that we've all been given. And on top of that, I'm sure you could think of a whole bunch of blessings God has given to your life. Your family, a church that really cares about you, a church that takes its teaching really seriously, a small group, so you can think of a lot of ways God really has brought you joy. And things have been tough, but you can probably think of ways God has given you joy. I think the difference here is not that these people had joy, and so they were sort of flourishing in this moment, and, and we don't, and so we're not. I think the difference was that the people did not let their joy go to waste. 
The people didn't let that joy God gave them dissipate and disappear and go away. They protected it. They said, okay, God did this really, really good thing. We got to, like, hang on to this because we don't know when the next wall is going to be built. We got to make sure we remember this, appreciate it, magnify it, show God appreciation and admiration for it. It's like, we got to make this moment count. God had done this great thing. They didn't want to just gloss over it, just say, oh, cool, yeah, cool, that's sweet, thumbs up, that's great, and then forget about it by tomorrow. They wanted the whole area to feel the sound of their rejoicing. They took this joy, and they did not want to let it go away. They said, we, don't, we need this. We got to protect this and attend to it and make sure this joy that God has given us is going to carry us further into the future than if we had just sort of given God a thumbs up and then kept moving forward. They had a lot of work ahead of them. They had to repopulate the city and follow God's covenantal commands. There's a lot they could have just shifted their focus toward. Yeah, okay, this is what I'm talking about next. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I shifted a little thing this morning. I think their protection of their joy led to them flourishing. And uh, this is going to go downhill a little bit by chapter 13, but there was a time where they flourished greatly. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits, and tithes. From the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. There was a time that it seemed like this energy from the joy they had received because they had taken this joy and maximized it and protected it, it led to just things going well. It led to them following the rules, working together, supporting one another. There's like a moment where they really truly flourished. And I believe that energy that they got out of protecting their joy seems to be what the author is implying led to this kind of flourishing. I think the difference with us, a lot of times, is not that God has not been good to us or given us joy. It's that we often let our joy go to waste. God does something, and it's a good thing, and it truly brings us joy or relief or happiness. And what do we do? We just keep on moving. God does a good thing, and we think about it for like three minutes. And then we're on to the next thing. How many of us spend as much time thanking God after he answers our prayer requests as we do asking for things? Think about the last time God answered a prayer request. Like, literally think about this. Did you spend as much time thanking God for how he answered it as you did asking him for it? No, you didn't. None of you did, and I didn't either. We're terrible at this. We go, okay, God, give me this, give me this, give me this. Sweet. He gave me a thing. Okay. Okay, now, God, I need another thing. I need a thing. I need a thing. I need a thing. Okay, cool. God gave it. Sweet. Okay, and now I'm going to keep going. And we've forgotten what the two previous things were. We're not even thinking about it anymore. It's like, it's out of our brains. And so we just keep going, and that real joy that God gave us is just gone. It's just dissipated. God builds walls in our lives, and he gives us joy, and we waste it. 
don't know if you remember sort of like the start of COVID. Maybe this gets into my like anxiety-ridden brain a little bit, but I think a lot of us really felt this. When COVID first hit, there was like this moment where we thought we were all going to die, right? Like, do you remember when like all the toilet paper was gone and you were like, how do I, how do I spell bidet? Like, what do I do? This is bad, right? Like, there was a moment where we were like, the stores are empty. This is a new thing. Like, ever, we're all going to die. Like, half my family's going to get wiped out in the next 20 minutes. This is bleh. And there was like this moment of panic. We were like, the stores are going to close down. Everything's going to shut down. There was this moment where it felt very heavy. And then we got to a point where we were like, wait, 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 wait. Okay. Yeah, this is, we are in a pandemic, but it's not that. Like, this is not going to be World War Z in like a week, okay? Like, this, it's, it's, we're, this is not quite what I had feared it was going to be. And then Zoom came out, and we started to be able to chat online, and like, there was some ways we were really celebrating. We were feeling a little relieved. We were feeling like, okay, this, is, this could be way worse. What did you do with that joy you felt in that moment? Did you thank God for it? Did you put a stake in the ground to remember that time? Did you make sure that it was celebrated and reflected upon deeply? Did you pay attention to how God had showed his faithfulness to you? No, you didn't. And I didn't either. And now as we're headed into the holidays, it looks a little funky with how COVID's going. It just feels darker and heavier because we don't have that joy in our minds anymore. Like, we don't remember that it felt scarier before. When we don't protect our joy, this hugely diminishes our flourishing. When we don't make sure that the good things God gives us gets recognized, appreciated, valued, remembered. When God's faithfulness does not stay at the forefront of our brains, things sort of feel like it falls apart. And most people, when they feel like things are falling apart, are probably not thriving all that well. The reality is, is that you'll receive little joy from the good things God's doing that you pay little attention to. You will receive very little joy from the good stuff God is doing all around you that you're just not really looking at. How can it? It's not God's fault, that's on you. If God's doing good stuff in your life and you're not really noticing it or paying attention to it, you're going to be getting very little joy out of what the work God is doing. I think what has happened in a lot of us is that we have so long sort of wasted the joy that God has given us that like this good I guess faucet or river of like healthy emotions God wants to give us, hope and peace and joy, just starts to rust over. And it starts to feel like our lives get really spiritually dry. Like God's not really doing much. There's not really much to celebrate. I got no hope. I don't know how to keep moving. When we've so long neglected to attend to and protect our joy, and recognize God's faithfulness, the good emotions, the good healthy joy that God is like wanting to fill us with each and every day just starts to rust over. Whenever I hear, I'm not an expert, so this next part is maybe a little not the Lord, but I, Luke, tell you kind of a thing, but um, something I've heard from a lot of men, and maybe women will say this too, but I've heard this mainly from men, 
I hear the phrase, especially when we're talking about like joy and celebration and rejoicing and that kind of thing. They'll say something to the effect of like, well, I'm just not very emotional. I, I'm just not a very emotional guy, you know? Like I just don't, I just don't have a lot of strong emotions. And I just wonder if a guy like that has so long neglected to attend to the joy God has tried to give him over and over again that he's convinced himself that this is just part of his personality. Emotions are important. They're a healthy, good thing God wants to give us. And so for a lot of us guys, we grow up where being masculine means you're not supposed to express emotions. And, and so we start to push it away. And we start to, well, I'm not supposed to feel things. And when we push and push and push and push, yeah, it starts to feel really empty eventually. And we kind of convince ourselves that's normal. In the same way, the Christian life is meant to be deeply celebratory, joy-filled. Because we've so long neglected to attend to our joy, it starts to feel normal that things feel bleak, pessimistic, like the Christian faith doesn't really work. That's not the way it's supposed to feel. And if that's the way it feels for you, I just wonder if you have so long not attended to the joy God has tried to give you. You know, and we're like, uh, one of the terms that I've sort of heard come out, I don't know if you've heard this, is doom scrolling. Has anyone heard this recently? Where you just scroll through social media posts that are just all completely negative and you just like feel the sadness sort of build up inside you, right? Like if that's what we're focusing on, no wonder we don't feel the joy of the Lord, <laughs> right? Like put your phone down. If you're feeling heavy, put the phone down. It is making your brain think things are worse than they are. If you don't put your attention to the good things God is doing, you will not feel the joy of the Lord he's trying to give you. Um, one of the beefs I've had with millennials, I know I'm a millennial. I'm going to pick on millennials for a second. Um, uh, maybe I'm just afraid of picking on you Gen Xers and boomers because I'm more afraid of your emails or something. I don't totally know. <laughs> but one thing... And me, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if millennials like created this or whatever, but we definitely have latched onto it. Millennials have latched on so hard to this vulnerability thing. We've latched on super hard to it. Got to be open and you got to be like super yourself with everyone. You got to be vulnerable and get real. And I think this came out of like a, a really good reaction where it was like, okay, the church just seems like a bunch of fake people. Everyone around is just fake happy. Like no, one, no one's life is going that well. There's, stu there's stuff going on. So let's, we got to get at it. And I think initially that, that was good. Like, yeah, the, there's a lot of stuff that we got to sort of get to, right? I think what has happened, though, is the pendulum has swung a bit. Where it feels to me, as I talk to people in sort of my age bracket, just feels to me like a deep pessimism has gripped us. And we now see joy and celebration and being cheerful almost as a bad thing. Like, we've put accountability way up here and, like, rejoicing in the Lord, like, way down here. Like, they are way out of balance. <laughs> and now it almost seems like you shouldn't be happy. Like, if you're happy, you're not looking around at the world, man. Don't you care about the problems? If you're, if you're cheerful, like, you're, you're not very deep if you're cheerful right now. You know, it's now become the thing to be kind of sad, to be anxious, to have a lot of problems. And so I fear that some of the accountability stuff or the vulnerability stuff has just been Christians kind of talking about how their life kind of stinks and then not doing anything about it. Just festering in the sad feelings, like, yeah, I'm broken, you're broken. 
Like, where's our imagination for God's good work he's supposed to do in our lives? Like, why are you not trying to get out of your problems? Like, it feels like we'd rather buddy up to our pain and kind of sit in it and be like, uh, like, my boss doesn't like me. And it's like, okay, did you talk to your boss? Are you trying to do anything about this? Or are you just going to sit there? And it's like, well, I, I don't like conflict. What do you mean you don't? Get out of it. Like, don't just sit there in your brokenness. Like, there, the Lord is a God of healing. We follow the great physician. Like, if the Christian faith works, then we should truly be celebrating and actually moving toward health, moving toward wholeness. The God of Scripture is a God who wants to break chains and free captives and overcome sin and addiction. He wants to lead us into a great place. Not only is he going to overcome sin, death, and Satan and cast it all into the lake of fire, but he wants to produce real healing and fruit in your life now that should produce joy. Amen. Amen. So as we are sharing our brokenness, be rejoicing with one another and actually pulling each other into health. Main thing for today, because I'm low on time. Don't waste your joy. Don't waste it. As God does great things in your life, as he moves, as he's powerful, as you see his blessings, protect that. It's not that God's not working. It's not that you don't have reasons to be thankful. It's that we just move right along. And we've developed a bit of a pessimistic energy where it's like, is God really going to move? Yes, he will. He really is good. He's really powerful. The main sort of thrust of the whole Bible is the fact that you are saved by Christ Jesus loving you so much that he gave his life for you. That joy is meant to like, give us a lot of fuel to make it through some tough things. And we have this weird perception that, like, yeah, when you first accept Christ, you can be really happy and, like, you're all excited or whatever. But I'm like, you're just as saved now as you were before. It's just as good of a thing to celebrate that's not normal. It, you, that you sh- we shouldn't accept that as the norm that I used to have joy in my salvation. I don't anymore. No! The joy of our salvation is meant to carry us through the darkest times. God is faithful to us in so many ways. And it's such a wonderful thing that he loves you so much that he chose to send Christ, and Christ willingly stepped in to being beaten up, pierced, and hung on a cross so you could freely receive grace and forgiveness. No matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. I have two um, ways I want to break this down in terms of application. These are sort of brief. Um, These are written kind of the negative, but these are application points. We waste our joy when we stop expressing gratitude. Okay, if you're not going to waste your joy, not wasting your joy is the key to flourishing. First thing you got to do out of two things that I think this text really leads us toward is um, you're going to waste your joy if you stop expressing gratitude. There is tons of research about how good gratitude just is for you generally. People who are grateful are more happy. They're healthier. They are more resistant to mental health struggles. Like if you, the, one of the worst things you could do for your mental health besides isolating yourself is to stop saying thank you. It's one of the worst things you could do for your mental health is to stop saying thank you. Gratitude is just properly recognizing 
something good, something that should be celebrated, something that should be focused on. When we say thank you, it's, it's not just for the person you're thanking, it's really for yourself to go, oh yeah, this is, this is a good thing. Uh, and you're probably going to need a plan to actually express gratitude. We are so bad at this. You know, if I were to ask you when's the last time you spent some time just thanking God for the blessings in your life, you might be a little embarrassed trying to figure out when you last did that. I would probably be a little embarrassed when I last did that too. You might need to have a plan to force yourself to do this. One thing I've appreciated about Mike Beresford is he has a plan to do this. He writes a certain number of thank you notes every week because he knows he's not going to do this. He knows he's not going to do this unless it's in his schedule to do it. In the same way, the people in the passage had a plan. They coordinated a huge thing, and they brought in all the people. You got to have a plan for how you're going to express gratitude. And um, one thing I will say on this, obviously expressing gratitude in a spiritual way, you know, when's the last time you said thanks to your small group leaders, your pastors, um, just appreciating your family, like the key big blessings, like I said before, your salvation. When's the last time you just thanked the Lord for saving you? Um, I also think praying for Thanksgiving over our physical provisions as well. One of the beefs I've had with the, what I've perceived, again, this may be not the Lord, but I, Luke, say to you. Um, one of the issues I've had with the evangelical church um, is a bit of its reaction to the prosperity gospel movement. If you don't know this context because you're not a church person, that's totally fine. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, the prosperity gospel, part of what it says is if you're a Christian, you should have provisions. Like, if you're a Christian, you'll especially have provisions. That's obviously bad. Let's just cut that off. But it feels like we've maybe thrown the baby out with the bathwater where we feel a little weird thanking God for physical provisions in general. Like, for that house he got us, that job promotion, we're like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. At least that's my vibe. Maybe, maybe you don't agree, but feels like we're a little uncomfortable thanking God for physical possessions because that's a little prosperity gospel-ish. That's not the prosperity gospel. Like, everything we have is from the Lord. Like, God could crumble this building around us right now if he wanted to, or just take it away. Like, everything we have is from God. Saying thank you for what you have and showing appreciation to God and believing that a Christian should prosper are not the same thing. So let's have a continued sense of celebrating the blessings in our life, right? Appreciating what God has done in a spiritual and also physical sense. We waste our joy, secondly, when we stop celebrating with one another. We waste our joy when we stop celebrating with one another. I talked about this a little bit before, but uh, it just feels like it's hard for us to really celebrate together. And obviously, we can't throw huge parties right now, so I'm not saying that. But um, it's so much easier for us, I think, to um, ask for prayer requests rather than give praise reports. And I think when someone comes to us with something hard, we, like, are good at praying about that, but then we don't really follow up with that person about, like, how's it going? (laughs) You know, can I celebrate with you in some way? When we share in the good things God God is doing, it both helps us appreciate that joy more so. It helps other people experience joy, noticing more things God is doing. Um, So especially heading into this Thanksgiving season, um, let's celebrate together the good things God are doing. Uh, It's not prideful or boasting to say, hey, come celebrate this good thing God is doing in my life. That's great. We feel like we should. We all love when people share. Notice this. We all love when people share praise reports, uh, but we don't like to do it. We don't like to be that person that steps up and is like, okay, God did this cool thing. Um, it's a good thing. It builds up the church. And so as you're expressing brokenness, sin struggles to each other, as you're coming to your friends saying, hey, I'm really wrestling with this. Help me. Make sure you then go to your friends and say, hey, I'm two weeks free of this. 
or hey, I'm a month out of that. Celebrate with me. I just want you to be happy with me. Celebrating is communally putting focus on something good God has done, and that's a great way to um, sort of protect our joy. Don't waste your joy. God is good, yes? He's done a lot in our lives. He's faithful to you. This is not a sermon, hey, you should feel beat up if you're not saying thank you. This is a sermon of, hey, God is doing a lot of good things right now, and if you just turn your heart to it, focus on it, remember it, you're going to start to see not an effect where you're moving down and down and down, spiraling into a rut, but you're going to see yourself start to get pulled out of it. As the joy of the Lord starts to fill you and your hope increases and you start to move toward the Lord more so, he's going to do more things, resulting in more joy. God is good in our lives. I know things are tough. I know there's heaviness in the room. But God loves you. He's here for you. And truly, he wants to fill you with joy. And so, Let's stop wasting that joy he gives us, letting it dissipate. Let's focus in on it, show him appreciation, celebrate it, so that joy he gives us is going to carry us through the trials. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for everyone here. God, I thank you that you're good and you love us. Um, God, I pray that there'd be no feeling of shame in the room right now, that um, if we've been really just neglecting the good things in our lives, not appreciating it, God, it just means there's good things in our lives that we can appreciate and gain joy from. (laughs) They're there. And so, Lord, thank you so much for all you've done in our lives. And um, God, you are good, and you are faithful through this difficult season, and we can celebrate. And I know our celebration can't be as robust right now um, in terms of us physically gathering, but we can still celebrate with one another, share thanksgivings, share praise reports. Lord, I pray that we would develop a plan for gratitude, a plan to consistently say thank you, to not grow entitled expecting you to do certain things, but to shift our focus to appreciating what you've already so clearly done again and again and again. God, I pray that the shift of mindset of protecting our joy would lead to our flourishing, Lord. In your name, amen.